Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the LawCast. This time we're going back to cover the time WWE decided to turn Survivor Series into Halloween Havoc. It's Survivor Series 2003, and of all the weird-ass WWE pay-per-views we've ever done, this is pretty high on the list. Kyush, what'd you think of this one? You know, until you had said that this was basically a Halloween Havoc, I could just never put my finger on what it was about this one particular WWE pay-per-view that always felt so kind of weird and special to me. Like, I have, like, a special place in my heart for it, despite the fact that almost every single part of this show has been, like, absolutely decried and torn apart over the years, from the Kane and Shane McMahon thing to the murder meat monsters and all of that sort of thing. So I really, really super enjoyed it, and I fucking... I I am absolutely in love. Yeah, this was a bizarre but entertaining show for me. Um, Like... How can you do an ambulance match and a buried alive match on the same show and have neither of them be the main event? Well, that's the thing, too, is that, like, not enough is probably made of this show about the fact that literally both of the McMahons have singles matches against the Brothers of Destruction on this show. And it's just sort of randomly part of the show. Like, spoiler alert, we'll get to why they actually put it together that way because obviously they're going to cross the streams later on, but man, it just feels tonally very fucking strange. I can't remember any show where they did like two times with this sort of undertaker Kane universe shenanigans at the same time. They always usually just kept it to one. It is pretty weird. Um, so yeah, the last thing we covered from around this time would be survivor series 2003, which had, uh, the elimination chamber match, where um, uh, Goldberg looked like he was going to win the title, but Triple H retained it after hitting him with a sledgehammer. I think we both agreed that was a incredibly like you know deflating finish to that match. Oh my God, yes, just like genuinely depressing. Like for one beautiful bright moment, it seemed like all of the mistakes that they had made with Goldberg were going to pay off and turn into something cool on that one night. And then they just fucking blew it. Yeah. So, also on that night, Kurt Angle beat Brock Lesnar to retain the WWE Championship. um, Tapped him out to the ankle lock. Brock and Angle had a rematch on SmackDown in a a 60-minute Iron Man match. Brock built a big lead. I don't remember. I think it was like 4-1 to or something like that. And... Kurt made a furious comeback, got within one fall, but came up short when Brock managed to resist tapping out to the ankle lock in the final seconds. Haven't watched this one in a long time, but I remember thinking that, like, my feeling has always been this is the best Iron Man match I've ever seen. It's very, very, very far up there. I'm I'm, I'm on record as not being a particularly big fan of Iron Man matches in general, but that one just has such a good spin on it. That like it's it feels very different to the other ones. Yeah, I really like that one. Um, Unforgiven was a raw pay per view in September. Goldberg put his career on the line against Triple H for another shot at the world title. Goldberg managed to get the win that night and become the new champion again a month too late. They should have put the belt on him the month before at SummerSlam. At this point, genuinely nobody gives a shit. Like, the pop when he wins is, like, so tepid. 
And that's what really what's depressing is it's not just because of that city. Like any other way of putting the belt on Goldberg should have been like unbelievably triumphant and awesome and like the fulfillment of dreams for fans like you who grew up loving Goldberg. But man, for him to win the belt and people be like, cool, is such a failure. Yeah. The um, yeah, not great energy here. Um, so Triple H was injured. They kind of had to write him out. Um, so what they ended up doing, I think, was a great storyline. They, um, I think, drawing inspiration from the old Harley Race Ric Flair storyline from the original Starcade. Triple H put a hundred thousand dollar bounty on Goldberg. Um, said that. Anyone who took him out would get $100,000 of Triple H's money. That's one of the great storylines to me, is they could redo this 100 million times in every different wrestling organization with any big heel, and I would bite on it 100% of the time. That just one segment where a sheet-eating grin Triple H is sitting on the couch with, like, the briefcase full of money is just everything to me. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, we get a great, like, series of Raws here that are built around, like, people trying to take out Goldberg. La Resistance try to take him out. Somebody tries to hit him with a car. Mark Henry tries to put him out. We get a fun Goldberg versus Mark Henry uh, Raw main event that's, you know, straight off WCW Nitro circa 1998. Um, And then they have a match between Goldberg and Shawn Michaels for the world title, which is one of those, like, I can't believe it actually happened. And especially that it wasn't on pay-per-view. I mean, it's, what it's a great dream match. Great pay-per-view match. That could have been. Oh my God. And talk about like the good parts of Goldberg when he was here were the ones where it was like Goldberg versus a smaller guy who will make him look like a killer again. Right. Like the one with Jericho looked pretty good. And, when he got there and there with Christian and just murder him, he looked good. Like putting him in there with guys like Van Dam and Michaels seems like the blueprint to make him awesome again. Doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Guys who can bump and sell for him. Absolutely. Yeah. Where he can bust out his weirdo moveset on him. So that match was interrupted by the returning Batista who took out both guys and pilmanized Goldberg. Uh, to claim the bounty, a uh, great return for Batista. Looked like an absolute monster here. Which is funny because it had been, he'd been out of mind for so long that I think a lot of people had just plain forgotten that he was part of Evolution in the first place. So thank God they debuted him and like heated him up so incredibly fast. Like this heated him up so fast that like you could have plausibly inserted him into like world title scenarios like right away. Yeah, I mean, there's a pretty de- there's an argument on this show that it should have been him versus Goldberg. I understand why they didn't do it, but Goldberg Triple H again was kind of lame, especially yeah. when Triple H is still injured and like wearing his bike shorts. And yeah, we got to get to that too because the idea that there's this idea that like kind of grips WWE during this period that any pay per view that is not made evented by Triple H is going to be a failure. Like, I don't know if that's implicitly what they thought, but that's what they do. Even though the man is a torn groin. 
He shouldn't be doing anything. No. That's an unbelievable injury to wrestle through. Well, here's the other crazy thing is it's Survivor Series and you have a heel stable on top. Yes. It's not like you couldn't just do Evolution in a Survivor Series match where Triple H wouldn't really have needed to do anything. I mean, literally, that's all you have to do. What if Bischoff just has Evolution be his team against Austin here? Like, doesn't that make a lot more sense? And just have Goldberg face somebody fucking else. Maybe Goldberg faces Kane here by himself instead of in a weird triple threat. There's a there's other options rather than just miring Goldberg in this endless Triple H saga. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. But unfortunately, that's what they did. Yeah. And so Bike Shorts Triple H rides on. Um, over on SmackDown, uh, The Undertaker challenged Brock Lesnar for the WWE title at No Mercy in a biker chain match. Uh, first, I remember uh, Undertaker and Angle had an awesome match on SmackDown around this time. Oh, they damn sure did. Yeah. Those guys didn't wrestle that often, but they had amazing chemistry when they did. That one at, what was that, like No Way Out that year? Yeah, no way. I think it was No Way Out 06. That's where Angle, like, Taker gets him up for the tombstone. Angle, like, literally crawls down his body to put him in the ankle lock. I think that was, like, the last great match of Angle's career until, like, the cage match with Ken Anderson in TNA. Like, yeah. that was, like, one of the last truly great matches of his WWE career. Um. So Lesnar retained the title after Mr. McMahon interfered on his behalf. And like, this is when things are getting weird with Vince. Vince wrestled Stephanie on that no mercy and one of the more uncomfortable matches in WWE history. That may be the most uncomfortable match in WWE history. Like, and he like beats the shit out of her with like a pipe. Like it's yeah. bad. It's gross. It's Watching a, gross a man thing. just beat up his daughter is kind of messed up. Yeah, I don't know what the hell they were trying to get to with that. This is really like the culmination of them being like, Vince McMahon is the most evil, sick, demented weirdo who ever walked the earth, and we really need people to understand that. It, everyone at home's like, we fucking get it. Can he just leave now? Because there's nothing left in this character but, like, uncomfortableness. He's just a monster. Even here, in a backstage segment, which we'll talk about later, where he comes face-to-face with Steve Austin, there's not even any heat there anymore, because you just don't want to see Vince's face. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So, uh, yeah. The Undertaker and Vince have a buried alive match on this night. There's some convoluted setup here where Undertaker beat uh, Brock Lesnar and Big Show in a handicap match. And as a result, he got to name his opponent for Survivor Series. And he names Mr. McMahon because sometimes your deeds have got to come back around here. So, um, uh, Shane and Kane have been feuding for several months. They're going to settle their feud in an ambulance match. They had a last man standing match at Unforgiven that Kane won after Shane missed an elbow drop, like from the top of the set. Uh, Shane has literally killed Kane twice at this point. 
but Kane has come back to life both times. He kicked him into a flaming dumpster one time, and the other time he, like, rigged up a limo so it would crash into a semi-truck with Kane inside. As you do, you know. Um, I, I get that they're trying to do some kind of, like, Michael Myers thing with Kane here, but I wish that they understood that, like, the scary Kane was, like, the uncontrollable, like, person who might just, like, decide to rip your head off at any given time who they have to bring to the ring in chains and shit. That's scary. Some dude who you murder and then just keeps coming back in, like, weirdly shot cinematic segments, that's not scary. That's not working. No. And, like, we've both said many times, like, the first couple weeks of this particular storyline were, like, some of the most excited we ever were as fans. Like, it seemed like Kane was going to be fucking cool. Boy, did that not last, though. Yeah. Um, the Raw before this, Shane and Kane sat down and had dinner together. Jesus Christ. This was not a good feud. Kane in, like, his black turtleneck at a restaurant. Dude. <laughs> I can't fucking believe. There's, like, something to that where if it was, like, Ric Flair and Ricky Steamboat, I feel like you could make it work. Or even, like, I wouldn't I wouldn't do this with Goldberg Triple H because I think it would take too much Goldberg's mystique. There's, like, there are feuds where this would have worked. This was not the right one for it. I mean, maybe, like, Triple H, Shawn Michaels, right? Yeah. Like, in the, like at the midst, right before their big blow-off, they sit down and have an uncomfortable meal together where they're just like, well, I guess it's about to end, isn't it? It'd be yeah. like... It'd be like the movie Heat, right? Where De Niro and Pacino sit across the table from each other and like, we're going to fucking kill each other. Great movie. Yeah. It it just like, that's the kind of deal that could work. The idea that Shane McMahon, a corporate entity, would sit down and have a meal with the man who murdered his mother, (laughs) who is a movie monster at this point, is just goofy shit. Yeah. This is not the best writing this company ever had. Which is ironic, because around the same time, they're, they are doing some of the best writing they ever did. So I don't know where, like, the disconnect is coming from. Maybe Shane and Kane have some sort of autonomy over this angle, and they're throwing it way off the rails. But the actual way they're presenting the television and some of the stories they're telling are really good. I mean, so the other big thing we've got on this show is a classic Survivor Series match, Team Bischoff versus Team Austin. Um, Austin and Bischoff have been running Raw together for the last few months, and they've been in conflict, and now that's going to come to a head. Um, Team Austin is Shawn Michaels, the Dudley Boys, Rob Van Dam, and Booker T. Team Bischoff is Randy Orton, Chris Jericho, Christian Mark Henry and Scott Steiner. Um, if Austin loses, he's gone. I think the stipulation is if he wins, he's allowed to hit people again. Yeah, he. there had previously been a rule in place that he had to be physically provoked yeah. in order to touch anybody. But now he'd just be able to whoop whoever's ass he felt like. Which is what the people want. Yeah. Another big part of this is that he had the first four, like Booker, the Dudleys, and Van Dam right away, but he couldn't find anyone in the entire WWE who wanted to be friends with Stone Cold Steve Austin because he had fucked them all over so fucking much over the years until Shawn Michaels came out of nowhere and volunteered in what was actually genuinely kind of a touching moment between the two because they had never really gotten closure for how much they hated each other for so long. Yeah. 
All right. So to get into the show, it's uh, Sunday, November the 16th, 2003. We're at the American Airlines Center in Dallas, Texas. There's 13,487 people in attendance. Uh, the show did 400,000 buys, which was up from 340,000 the previous year. Impressive for the buy rate to go up when the previous year had the Elimination Chamber. Now, the previous year, it was kind of thrown together, though. Like, yeah. aside from the Elimination Chamber itself, they didn't really have a ton going on going into that. So it kind of makes sense that regardless of what we might think about the storylines that they are presenting, at least there are a lot of big storylines and big gimmick matches on this show. Yeah, indeed. Um, on commentary, we've got Jim Ross and Jerry Lawler calling the small mat, the raw matches, and Michael Cole and Taz calling the SmackDown matches. We are right in the midst of like way too enthusiastic Michael Cole, <laughs> and he's trying so hard, and it's very endearing. But he and Taz have become a little bit of fucking annoying. A little bit. Uh, or- Jim Ross and Jerry Lawler are just checked out completely. <laughs> On heat, Tajiri defeated Jamie Noble to retain the cruiserweight title in four minutes and 13 seconds. Do you remember Tajiri's Yakuza stable that yes. he put together? That Kyo and Sakoda. I thought yeah. that was such a fucking cool idea. That's awesome. It's, it's cool for a guy like Tajiri to have his own stable and be the leader of it. Unfortunately, it kind of goes the way of X-Factor, but like not yeah. because it sucked like X-Factor did. They just... I'm sure they just couldn't get jazzed about, like, let's pay three dudes for the cruiserweight title stable, right? But, man, they were just a really cool idea. They looked different. They had a whole vibe to them. Why couldn't Tajiri catch a break in this company after 15 years? Yeah. Um, The opening promo is all about survival and who has what it takes to survive. And then we've got the opening match. It's a Survivor Series match with Team Angle against Team Lesnar. On Team Angle, we've got Kurt Angle, Chris Benoit, John Cena, Bradshaw, and Hardcore Holly. I think Farouk was originally on this team, and then they did a kayfabe injury and replaced him with John Cena. Cena has just turned face like a week before this. Oh, God, is it that recent? Yeah, him and Angle had. I mean, people had started to cheer him, but him and Angle wrestled at No Mercy, so he was still a heel as of the last pay per view. He really doesn't get a lot of reaction when he comes out here. Yeah, his rap gets like a nice reaction, but they always just kind of got the same amount of reaction regardless, because it's shocking to hear someone say the word bitch. Yeah. Um, I need you guys to understand, listening at home, that Steve just listed off basically all of the top baby faces on SmackDown. <laughs> <laughs> and who boy, what a list that was. And Brad, then t- short hair Bradshaw. Oh man, he looks like an asshole. He really does. <laughs> just like he's just JBL, but he's like like I can't believe they let him cut his hair and stop dying it. He literally just looks like he's cosplaying as a member of the APA. Just like, yeah, remember me from he's like if you saw a wrestler at a convention in their 50s and they're like, yeah, I'm still the young buck. Hell yeah. No, dude. More like dad Shaw. Yes, exactly. Uh, Then we've got Team Lesnar, which is Brock Lesnar, The Big Show, Nathan Jones, A-Train and Matt Morgan. The Haas team, they literally plucked Jones and Morgan out of OVW for this match because they were like, let's just get every big guy we can to be on Lesnar's team. 
there's literally almost like no word that begins with M that you can't use to describe this team. Like the meat monster, mountain magnet, market, mountain. I just love it so much that they were, somebody clearly said in a meeting with Vince, like, hey, with uh, Lesnar and Big Show and A-Train in there, you might be able to break the record for the most bulk ever on a team. And Vince just fell in love with that fucking idea. But there's really nobody else in the company who's big right now. So they have to go to OVW, get Nathan Jones and Matt Morgan. Nathan Jones, who sucks atrociously, and Matt Morgan, who's in like his first year of training. They have no business being here. Yeah, super, super green. But it, it gives it like this really weird, like awesome tilt to it. Like, oh, they just randomly, Lesnar just went out and randomly got two seven footers out of nowhere. What the fuck? Oh, man. So Cena does a pre-match promo. Uh, There's a big fight. Like Lesnar comes down and hardcore Holly jumps him during his entrance. Holly shoves a referee and gets disqualified 30 seconds into the match. This was hilarious. Like, it's almost like the best case scenario. Like, I didn't really want to see hardcore Holly be in this match. And I don't think anybody really did. So having him do that was perfectly fine on the way to his very famously atrocious title match against Lesnar at the Royal Rumble. Yeah. And then things start popping off real quick after that. They do. 30 seconds later, Bradshaw hits A-Train with the clothesline from hell and pins him. And then Big Show choke slams Bradshaw and pins him. So we're like two minutes into the match. We've had three eliminations. To reset, we've got Cena, Benoit, and Angle against Big Show, Lesnar, Morgan, and Jones. Uh, The heels are in control for a while, working over Cena and then Benoit. Angle gets a hot tag and proceeds to German suplex everybody. And then he angle slams Morgan to get the pin. So Morgan is out without getting to do much of anything. Yep. And then, and then angle taps out Nathan Jones like a minute later with the ankle lock. So both the hosses are gone without getting to do much. Good. It, it really, I don't, I think this was it for Nathan Jones. Maybe he did like a few appearances after this, but he's gone from the company shortly hereafter. I was watching both him and Morgan so closely here because I wanted to see like some flash of some kind of actual potential that got like left on the cutting room floor during this period. But man, they both really suck. Like like a, a clothesline to the back is about the limit of what they're capable of at this point. Yeah. And Nathan Jones has been in developmental for like three or four years. Um. So we're down to Benoit and Cena against Lesnar and Big Show. Benoit gets Lesnar in the crossface and he taps. Like, how huge is that for Benoit to tap out Brock Lesnar? How does he never get his title match out of this? No, he does. You don't remember this? He wrestled him on SmackDown. Like, Is that uh, the Brock Lock one? Yeah, that's the Brock Lock. Okay. Yeah. Okay, it's also so got the, the great segment before the match where... Uh, the FBI are taking bets on who's going to win the match. And A-Train comes up and he's like, all right, I got 10 grand. And they're like, okay, 10 grand on Lesnar. He goes, no, 10 grand on Benoit. That's fucking awesome. And then Lesnar kicked the shit out of him the next week for it, which was also <laughs> awesome. I just, that should have been a pay-per-view main event, though. Like, the idea yeah. that we... 
that we do the hardcore Holly match at the Rumble and not the Benoit match instead is just such a missed opportunity. Well, ben- you know? Benoit was busy winning the Rumble this year. That is a good point, though. Yeah, you are right <laughs> yeah. about that. And I'm sure maybe they would have gotten around to that at another time, possibly. Yeah, but they don't really expect Lesnar to be leaving yet. So Benoit hit a standing diving headbutt on Big Show here. This I've was never insane. seen him do that ever. Like that thing is nasty. Cena then hits a gigantic fu on Big Show and pins him. This was a pretty good match, but it was really rushed. Like, I don't remember the length, but maybe it was 15 minutes. It was 13. Wow. Like, literally, yeah. there are three eliminations in the first minute. Then, like, five minutes go by, and then another four eliminations happen. And then, at the end, all the eliminations happen. Like, it's one of the most bizarrely paced Survivor Series matches I've ever seen. But I'm not really going to complain about it. Like, they know that nobody wants to see Bradshaw, Horcore, Holly, or... A train. So they just get them all out right at the beginning. Yeah, and then they cares. try Morgan and Jones just to give them a chance to get a little experience. And then they get them right the fuck out, too. So it really just becomes like the tag team match they wanted to put on in the first place. Yeah. Indeed. Uh, we go backstage where Vince walks into Shane's locker room. He points out that they're a father and son competing against two brothers tonight. Shane says he feels sorry for Vince for what The Undertaker is going to do to him. Vince walks out and he runs into Austin. And they just do the thing where, like, they laugh and they get serious and then they laugh. And, yeah, I don't know. Not a lot of electricity here. No. Unfortunately, this is one of those moments where they probably wanted, like, the crowd to go crazy. Like, ooh, it's Austin McMahon. There ain't a single drop of juice left in that particular jug. But I do want to say about this segment they, right around this time, they were doing this a lot on their shows, and it's one of my favorite like cinematography things that they ever did. They were doing a lot of like guys in a locker room. He leaves the locker room. Oh, he bumps into this guy in the hallway. Oh, he keeps walking down the hallway. Oh, he bumps into this guy now. I really, really, really love that because it makes everything in the back seem like a cohesive environment. Like these people all interact with each other, and they're in the same world. They're not all separated. I don't know. It just – we mentioned that on like another show sometime where like Triple H walked out into the hallway and like bumped into Lesnar and that was super awkward. Like it's just a really cool way to make characters interact with each other who wouldn't ordinarily. I just want more of that. They would never do this now in a million fucking years. Uh, then we've got Lita versus Molly Holly for the women's championship. Uh, this is a pretty quick match. Nothing much here. Molly wins when she runs Lita into the exposed turnbuckle pad. I wish they could have gotten more than four minutes. Yeah, and this isn't bad for like the amount of time that they get. Like they, yeah. like Molly hits a gorgeous Molly go round in this. Lita's actually super crisp and on point with all of her stuff. Like, yeah, this would have been a great time to give these two twelve minutes or so. But nope. We had to give 20 to Kane and Shane. <laughs> yeah. And that's what's up next. The ambulance match. Uh, Kane is out first looking like a badass. And then Shane comes out, you know, looking more serious than usual to his credit. He you know, does a little bit of shimmy, but not too much. There's just a, there's a moment right before Shane comes out where like Kane has come out and he's got like his eyes are like drooping and he's got like the black towel over his head and he looks like he's ready to commit a murder. And like they built 
like a attention to this and it's like okay actually this might be pretty serious and awesome and then like here comes the money hits and it's like oh no there's not going to be anything serious here mm, yeah 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 <laughs> uh shane charges kane and takes him over the top rope immediately kane grabs the steps but shane hits them with a chair and then he clears the announce table off puts kane on it hits the flying elbow from the top rope through the table two minutes into the match. I kind of almost appreciate that because like, let's yeah. just get to the shit people actually want. I see. wish, I wish they had stuck with that philosophy. Yeah. Like if this had just been a five minute match where like Shane throws everything at Kane and then Kane just gets up and kills him anyway, that's a perfect version of this match, right? Instead <laughs> they go on, they do what they do. Uh, yeah, they fight backstage. The camera keeps cutting out. I didn't, I don't think this was a gimmick, but like, it was like the exact same cutout thing both times, which is weird, right? Yeah. I don't know if they did do it as a gimmick. I don't understand what they were going for. Shane sneaks up on Kane and beats him with a kendo stick. Shane gets in a car he backs the car into a security booth while Kane is in there. Okay. And, like, there's even, like, a, a barrier right in front of the booth, which makes it clear that the car very clearly did not hit the booth. It's like, okay. And then Kane just, like, lays there for, like, five minutes like yeah, he they, died. They treat this like he actually hit him. And I'm like, dude, come on, man. <laughs> also, why don't you just hit him with the fucking car? It's not like you haven't done that, like, 20 times recently. Shane gets on a walkie-talkie and calls for an ambulance. Kane sits up and goozles him. They fight back into the arena. Shane slams the ambulance door into Kane's head twice. Second time, Kane didn't get his hand up to block it. This looked like it hurt. Oh, yeah, it did. He was messed up here. Those are heavy doors. Like, he was literally on Dream Street for probably the rest of this match. Yeah. Kane recovers and hits a big boot. He nearly closes Shane into the ambulance, but Shane kicks the door into his head. Shane follows up with a DDT. Um, Shane hits a Van Terminator off the top of the ambulance. That's crazy. He had a box set up to break his fall, but this was still insane. I want you to, like, a Van Terminator under these circumstances is basically just the stiffest back bump you can possibly take. Because you're just kicking your legs out from under you. Like, I understand he's got the box, but if he misses it by, like, an inch, like, his head can just, like, snap back and hit the floor. This is bad. Don't do this. Yeah. 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 Um, so, uh, Shane nearly closes Kane in the ambulance, but Kane fights him off. Kane hits the tombstone on the floor locks Shane in the ambulance and wins the match. I mean, this was kind of fun at first, but it was like twice as long as it should have been. It just, it doesn't make sense for Kane and Shane to be fighting like equals for like 20 minutes. Like that's not the story that they're telling. That doesn't do anything for Kane. Frankly, it doesn't do anything for Shane because how are you supposed to like, Shane's not vulnerable in any way. Like he's not, there's no sympathy for Shane. He's just like, an unstoppable Terminator robot of a reckless rich boy against another Terminator robot. There's no money in that. Yeah. They do cool stuff, but like, again, if they just condensed it into five minutes and then just ended it, 
that would have been a way better match. Okay. Backstage, Josh Matthews asks Brock about losing tonight. Brock says he didn't lose. Matthews points out that he tapped out. Brock claims he didn't. Brock says he can beat anybody. And then Goldberg shows up to a mixed reaction. This is during the period where at Survivor Series, they would always just basically give away the main event of WrestleMania. (laughs) Might as well just announce it right here. Yeah, it's just like, hey, guys, there will be a random segment at Survivor Series where they will be like, hey, this is what's going to happen at WrestleMania. All the way down to the most famous version of this, which is Snitsky and Heidenreich meeting for the first time. Yeah. 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 He likes what he does to babies. I like your poems. I like what you do to babies. <laughs> I wish I knew who had written that segment so I could shake his hand. Gotten a lot of joy <laughs> out of that over the years. Oh, man. Um, so, uh, next, Jonathan Coachman comes out in a neck brace. Uh, JR says that he should volunteer for enema research. <laughs> <laughs> Coachman reassures the fans that he's okay. And then he sees Mark Cuban in the front row. He asks Cuban what he's looking forward to tonight. Cuban says he wants to see Stone Cold kick Eric Bischoff's ass. Coach asks him if he thinks WWE or NBA referees are better, which was a funny question. Yes. And Cuban answers basically with they both suck, which is great. Bischoff then shows up. He challenges Cuban to get in the ring. Cuban obliges. He gets in the ring. Bischoff talks some shit, and Cuban shoves him. And then Randy Orton comes out of nowhere and drops Cuban with the RKO. Everything about this segment is perfect. This is like a perfect celebrity moment. Also, the moment where Cuban gets in the ring and stands next to Bischoff, and you're like, oh, Cuban's way fucking taller than I thought he was. Bischoff is tiny. Yeah. Like, Cuban was, like, almost Orton's height. And I was like, oh, didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah, he takes the RKO like a champ. Orton gets to have a big sheeting and grin about it. This is on Orton, all of Orton's highlight packages for, like, 20 years. Yeah. Um, back in Evolution's locker room, they're all drinking champagne and partying with the ladies. That was also always a nice touch about Evolution, is yeah. that they always went back to that, like... Women want to fuck evolution, and you get it. <laughs> and they do. I mean, there's that's a shoot, honestly. Yes, my wife literally just walked into the room to nod seriously about that. <laughs> Next up for the tag titles, we've got the Basham brothers against Los Guerreros. This is when the Basham brothers are doing their gimmick where Shanique was their dominatrix. I dug Shanique. I thought this was a good gimmick, actually. Absolutely. Um. It's obvious that they're probably not going to go far enough with it. Like, they're not explaining to their audience what it is that, like, the Bash, the relationship with the Basham brothers and Shaniqua is. It's just kind of like a tongue-in-cheek thing. Like, oh, if you happen to know what BDSM gear yeah. is, that's what they're doing. But if and you were watching Bash- this as, like, a Sorry. 10-year-old, you'd be like, oh, that's weird. The Bashams are the weak link here. Like, Shaniqua yeah. is much better. She's the most over part of this act. Oh, the Bashams fucking suck. Let's just be clear about that. Like, Linda Miles, it's a shame she couldn't wrestle for it the day yeah. of, because, like, she had a ton of personality. Also, yeah. apparently she was a pain in the ass. But aside from that, 
Yeah, I think I've heard also heard she was really religious and like was not into this gimmick at all. Understandable. <laughs> yeah. She's doing well for herself now. I think she's a college basketball referee. That's fantastic. Good for her, honestly. Yeah. Like she made it out. She looked like a million bucks here on it. She's got a ton of personality. Like she was her own thing. Like why they didn't try harder to like get her involved with like the women's division. Cause she could have easily been like the top heel of it at this point, even if she couldn't wrestle a lick. She's oh, damn sure. near China size. Yeah. The, um, uh, the Bashams cheated the Guerreros out of the belts. And then on SmackDown, there was supposed to be a rematch, but Eddie got a call saying his sister had been in an accident, which turned out to be a hoax. And that's like the beginning of the tension between Chavo and Eddie. Oh, which will result in some of the best stuff literally of all time. Like you can already kind of tell here, like people are ready for it to be all about Eddie. Like Eddie is so the star of this. It was so sudden, but yeah, like somewhere in the summer, he just became wildly over. And I don't know whether it's just because like he was wrestling so many amazing matches during the summer. Those vignettes obviously got super over. Like I, I don't know, like the like Bert. What really happens is this like the Hispanic fan base kind of comes out of nowhere and embraces him fully. And like they had always kind of been there, but I don't know what precipitates like them finally like in droves coming to support Eddie. It's fucking amazing. And winds up being like one of the most stunning things in wrestling history, like that outpouring of love for this person. But fuck me if I know why exactly. Um, the Bashams get heat on Eddie for a couple minutes until he tags out to Chavo. Shaniqua distracts the ref and the Bashams do a switch. Chavo clotheslines Shaniqua, then holds her down so Eddie can hit a frog splash. And then Chavo spanks her until the Bashams get back in the ring. That's, yeah. (laughs) They switch again and... Uh, get the pin with the roll up. So I guess ultimately they went back to the original guy. I guess. I, the, my favorite thing about the Bashams is they really don't even look similar. No, they're just bald white guys. <laughs> yeah. I was literally just like, oh, well, they're both white and about the same height. The best thing about the Bashams is that they literally became a tag team because somebody from creative went down there and were just like, oh, hey, let's take Jim Cornette's top heel and shave his fucking head so he looks like this other guy. And they were feuding with each other. Yes. <laughs> so but literally, Jim Cornette has to put on a feud between two guys who look the fucking same. Who cares about OVW? It's just so funny, though. Like yes. Jim Cornette will never forget that slight. The torment that they put Cornette through. Oh, man. Uh, this was not a great match. Yeesh. No, it's... And it's like, Los Guerreros are obviously could have a good match with a fucking broomstick. It's not like it's not technically fine. There's just nothing to the Bashams at all. Those guys don't have their hearts in this. Shaniqua has, like, no interactions with them whatsoever. Like, she's doing her own thing, and they're just blowing it at their own thing, and it just is what it is. Yeah. And then... Uh, we've got Team Austin versus Team Bischoff in a classic Survivor Series match. Um, 
Austin was fired by Bischoff right after WrestleMania 19. Linda McMahon brought him back as the co-general manager of Raw. So him and Bischoff have been having issues for months. Um, I like that the teams came out together here because it really sped things up. Oh, completely, yes. Yeah, like we do not need all these people to have their own entrance. It's also fun when like there are a lot of Survivor Series matches through the ages where like even though there's ostensibly a story to them, once the match gets started, it doesn't really feel like all the people on the team really give a shit about like the overarching story. Like even the one at the beginning here, nobody on Team Angle really gave a shit about the feud between Kurt Angle and Brock Lesnar, right? That's not what it was yeah. about. They were all just had their own shit going on. It's nice when you get one of those matches where like everybody on Team Bischoff badly wants Steve Austin to fuck off forever. Everybody on Team Austin like badly wants to support Steve Austin. And it's just it gives it so much more gravitas. Yeah. Um first big move is Booker hitting a scissors kick on Scott Steiner. All 10 guys, you know, get in the ring and start fighting. That distracts the referee. Steiner hits a low blow, then puts Booker in the Steiner recliner. Stacy gets up on the apron and starts cheering for Booker, so Steiner breaks the hold to yell at her. The Dudleys then hit him with a neckbreaker back suplex combo. Booker follows up with the bookend and pins him. Scott Steiner has fallen a very long way from uh, when he debuted at Survivor Series the previous year. Jesus. You mean when yeah. he was literally the hottest thing on the planet and now he's like some bullshit to just get out of the way? By the way, Stacy Keebler, to my knowledge, has been over the course of her career in five different abusive boyfriend storylines. <laughs> what did this poor girl do to deserve this? Nothing. She's the one being abused. It's so, it fucking sucks. Like, Stacy, I guess she just went along with whatever anybody asked her to do, but fuck. She had a miscarriage on screen one time. She had to pretend to be fucking David Flair. Like, she's been through it. Through it. Yeah. Um, Next up, uh, Mark Henry gets in, and he immediately hits Booker with uh, the world's strongest slam and pins him. And then everybody hits their finishers on Henry, 3D on Henry, and a frog splash by Van Dam, and, like, all three guys pin him. I love it when everybody just piles on yeah. top to pin a big guy. <laughs> uh, Van Dam goes back up to the top, but Jericho shoves him off, and Orton catches him out of the air with the RKO for the pin. That was God. awesome. We haven't talked yet about the fact that Randy Orton is in this match, and therefore this is Randy Orton's match, because Randy Orton... Yeah. At Survivor Series becomes a god. Unbeatable. It's not just that he never, ever loses. It's just something like his performances at this pay-per-view are always fucking awesome. It's just it's built for him. The RKO is built for an elimination match. So it's three on three. It's Sean and the Dudley boys against Orton, Jericho and Christian. Jericho pins Devon with a sleeper slam. They call yeah, this, that the flashback, I think. God, Jericho could not find a finisher in this era. I don't think anybody ever tried and failed with so many finishers as he did during this era. He had this one, the step up in Zaguri, the Lion Salt, which had completely died, the Walls of Jericho, which wasn't over anymore. Like there was the uh, the breakdown, basically the skull crushing finale or the stroke. Yeah. yeah, it's just like he kept trying shit, and they all sucked. 
It's amazing he didn't like go, well, let me try the roll of the dice, I guess. Maybe the overdrive. Um, Bubba gets hit with a low blow, and then Christian hits him with the unprettier. So Bubba's gone. It's three on one. Jericho, Orton, and Christian against Shawn Michaels. If this scenario seems familiar, this was such a good match, they just redid it at Survivor Series 2005 with uh, Shawn against Team SmackDown. It's Yeah, it's almost identical. Right same down match, to, same finish. And that's perfect because you don't need a different one. This is like the perfect formula. Poor Shawn Michaels, who has to go it alone, and he's already like busted open, and he's beat, and he's tired, but he's still going to fight. Nobody does that better than Sean. Christian runs Sean into the ring post and Sean blades. Sean gets Christian with sweet chin music and pins him. This is where we realize Sean cut really deep. Yes. Like he's got blood everywhere. But this is also yeah. one of the coolest sweet chin music pin combinations that he ever did in his entire career. Like he basically just gets his boot up in Christian's way as Christian's like coming at him, and then he just falls down on top of Christian, like lying on top of him and pins him. It's very cool and amazing selling, but also probably partially because he's probably genuinely winded from the pints of blood pouring out of his face. Yeah. Uh, Sean is, yeah, just a bloody mess, and he's in a two-on-one situation. Jericho goes for the lion's salt, but Sean gets his knees up. Sean goes for sweet chin music. Jericho ducks it. He goes for the walls of Jericho. Sean manages to roll him over into a small package and pin him. Crowd goes insane. It's Sean against Orton one-on-one. And then it all starts to break down. Yeah. Jericho comes back in, hits Michaels with a chair. Orton covers him, but Sean gets his shoulder up. This was a great kick out. Timed this perfectly. Oh, I thought it was over there. Even even though I know, like, I knew that Orton wins. So, like, I kind of thought that this was going to be the finish. And I was like, fuck, fuck. So I was very excited when he kicked out. Um, then Orton goes for a cross body. Sean ducks and Orton hits the referee. Orton, Sean... like, clears the fucking ring on that cross body, by the way. Yeah. Like, it is unbelievable how much distance he gets. Sean tunes up the band. Bischoff gets in the ring and hits him with a kick to the ribs. Austin shows up. He beats up Bischoff, and then he stuns Orton. Austin chases Bischoff to the back. At this point, Batista runs in and hits Sean with the Batista bomb. Orton covers. The referee wakes up, and he makes a slow three count. Team Bischoff wins. Austin is fired. The moment, there's so many great moments at the end of this here. Like, a beaten the fuck up, but, like, unbelievably triumphant-looking Orton as he realizes he's won easily the biggest match of his career to this point. Austin turning back because he thought for sure that he won when he realizes that his career is now over. And, like, there's a moment where Austin gets in the ring and, like, Michael's, like, a bloody mess just starts apologizing to him. And, like, it's genuinely touching. Yeah. Yeah, we do a long post-match segment. Austin and Michaels, you know, shake hands. Austin goes to leave. He come back, comes back to say goodbye to the fans. You know, he cracks a beer for them, talks about how his career started right here in Dallas, Texas, at the Sportatorium. 
it's fitting that it's going to end in the same place it started. Um, he tells the fans, you know, he, you know, he doesn't like to be a softie, but he loves the shit out of them. And, you know, that he did everything for them over his career. And then Jonathan Coachman comes out with security guards to try to throw Austin out. Austin beats up Coachman and all the security guards and cracks a beer, leaves it in the ring. Really emotional send off. And Austin is back in like three weeks. Yeah. This really, first of all, should have ended the pay-per-view. Like, yeah. That's a great end to the pay-per-view. Like great that, match. That yeah. image of like the beer in the ring and Austin walking away in the background. That's great. It's a great match. Michaels wrestles his heart out. It's very emotional. The fans are really into it. It's a huge fucking bummer when that ma- that when that goes black on that image and then we come back to Mr. McMahon versus The Undertaker. Yeah. 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 Um, it's the buried alive match. Taker comes out first and then a very confident Vince who is like, I guess this is before McMahonism, but he's like possessed and praying. I, I don't know what's going on here. I don't here. know what this is supposed to be. No, no one does. God, Vince. <laughs> this is the match where Vince does the absolutely sickening blade job. This is one of the worst I've ever seen. Like, I thought the one that he did at St. Valentine's Day Massacre was the most despicable blade oh. job that I had ever seen. Other than the one that, like, Eddie does or, like, Muda did. Oh, but this, this one's worse. He is just, blood is spilling out of his head. And, like, to the point where he clearly is so woozy, he can't do anything. Yeah. He's losing way too much blood. There's a whole part of this match where Taker's just, like, dragging him around to get him from place to place. He just keeps, yeah. Taker keeps beating Vince up, and this just goes on for ten minutes. Like, Taker gets a shovel, he hits Vince in the head with it. Uh, Smashes Vince's ankle on the steps. He drags Vince up to the gravesite. Vince does a low blow and hits him with the shovel. That knocks him into the grave. But Taker pops right back up. He pulls Vince into the grave. Taker goes to the backhoe to bury Vince. But there's an explosion. And then Kane shows up. Now, I've never been really sure about this. But is the idea here that Kane planned all of this with Vince? Or just that Kane saw his opportunity? Probably just took the opportunity. Okay. So Kane, who has finally vanquished Shane, now sees his opportunity to get rid of his greatest rival of all, his brother. His big brother, yeah. And he boots him into the fucking grave, and he dumps the backhoe, and he's done it. He yeah. murdered the Undertaker. And they treat it like Undertaker actually died in some yeah. weeks on TV. Like... They're just like, oh, The Undertaker met his demise at Survivor Series. Sorry, kids. Your favorite wrestler is dead. <laughs> yeah. He well, died. Again, they're doing their version of Halloween Havoc. You got to kill somebody. You got to. Absolutely. Somebody's got to go into the Chamber of Horrors electric chair. And in this case, it was The Undertaker. Uh, man, what a weird pay-per-view. Like, I don't... <laughs> this is... Somebody sat down and plotted all this out and put it on the same show. That's the wild thing. Like, they didn't space any of this shit out. 
so it wouldn't look super bizarre all being together. Nope. Bitches is here. It's all here. For a company that gets, like, super goddamn boring, like, six months from now, it's amazing how much wild shit they're throwing at the wall here. Yeah. All right. It's main event time. We've got Goldberg defending the World Heavyweight Championship against Triple H. Triple H is out first. As we noted, he's wearing the bike shorts. He can barely walk to the ring. It's so bad. Why are they putting him through this? I just don't understand. Like, we all know that Triple H is a badass, right? He's wrestled through a a collection of some of the worst injuries you can possibly imagine. Awesome. Good for him. This is a nightmare. Uh, Imagine trying, like, you can't spread your legs more than, like, two inches apart or you're in blinding pain. And you've got to go and perform athletics. How? Uh, this torn this groin end. is like no joke. That is serious business. That's like a series-ending injury in any sport for any athlete. Yeah, it's like, insane that he wrestles here. And he had it at like before. Like he's, it's not like it crept up on you. It's not like it happened like the week before, and you're like, oh shit, what can we do? I, I we got to find some way around it. Maybe you could just go in there for five minutes. No, they knew, and they still promoted this match. Yeah. He does a pretty decent job. Yeah, you can't hate on Triple H. Like, he's obviously very limited. He doesn't do a ton here, but, like, he doesn't fuck up anything. Like, he's... Yeah, carries Goldberg to a perfectly watchable match. That is the irony, that even he with the torn groin is still very much the one carrying Goldberg. Triple H jumps Goldberg right as he's getting in the ring. Goldberg spears him. Flair jumps in the ring. Goldberg punches him out. Goldberg dominates until he goes for a press slam and his bad ankle gives out. Triple H spends the next couple minutes working on Goldberg's leg. Um, The ref gets bumped. Triple H comes in with a sledgehammer. Goldberg cuts him off. He hits Flair with the hammer. Batista runs in. Goldberg hits him with the sledgehammer. Goldberg hits Orton with the sledgehammer. And that distraction allows Triple H to set Goldberg up for the pedigree. But Goldberg backdrops out of it. And there's a pretty cool moment where Goldberg picks up the sledgehammer like, I'm going to bash his brains in for good. And then he just looks at it and throws it away. He's like, nah, I'm going to spear his ass. That's so much more satisfying. Love that. Who needs a sledgehammer when you've got a jackhammer? Though it is funny, too, because the fans towards the end of this are starting to, like, cheer for Goldberg again. And when he throws away the sledgehammer, there are audible boos. Uh, yeah, Goldberg throws away the sledgehammer and hits Triple H with a gigantic spear right out of his boots. I want to give props to him, too. Like, Goldberg was selling the foot really well for a guy who doesn't get a lot of credit for being a good seller. Like, literally performing all of his moves on, like, one leg, like, limping around. He never forgot about it. Big respect for Goldberg. He basically does this spear with, like, one big jumping push-off. Uh, Goldberg then hits the jackhammer, and that's enough for the pin once the referee wakes up. Um, yeah, I mean, it was okay, but they probably should have done something else. You're like, Goldberg versus Kane here would have been badass. Hell yeah, it would have. And it doesn't even really matter who wins that match, honestly. Especially, yeah. like, Kane can lose because he's going into the Undertaker thing anyway. It doesn't matter. Yeah. So, yeah, that is a wrap. For uh, Survivor Series 2003, um, 
show went off the air pretty quick there. Um, overall, you know, surprisingly good, I'd say. I was kind of expecting much. I mean, it was weird, but watchable, entertaining for the most part. I kind of wish they had shaved some time off the Buried Alive match and Ambulance match and given it to the opener. Yeah. With the exception of Molly Holly versus Lita, which was totally inoffensive and a good storyline, and the Austin Bischoff match, which still featured like some dead weight, there's a lot of absolutely absurd booking going on here. Some like decisions that are just like, why would you even in your wildest dreams think like, oh, yeah, let's go get Nathan Jones for this high profile match or let's put Shane McMahon in an ambulance match for 20 minutes against the monster we're creating? Or why don't we have Vince wrestle a long ass match? There's just a lot of mystifying stuff here. But somehow when I was watching it, like I I kept bringing my attention back to it. Like it didn't bore me like some other shows that we've done before are like it just it popped off the screen in a way I was surprised by. I enjoyed it. Yeah. Um, I mean, coming out of this, I I mean, they just continue the Triple H Goldberg feud and they throw. How do you do that? They throw Kane in there for the next month. I think it was originally they were thinking of Kevin Nash, but Nash was, I don't know, not a, he had some injury or something. It was not able to make a return. So Kane versus Goldberg versus Triple H and Triple H won the belt back. I just, I understand that at this point, they probably already know they're going with Benoit at the Rumble, right? And they probably even already know that they're going with put Benoit over for the belt at WrestleMania. They don't know about Eddie yet. That 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 for sure they don't know. But so that they probably know for sure that they got to have it on Triple H, right? So I do wonder if in the back of their mind, if they thought that they were going to go with Benoit Lesnar at WrestleMania. Because that almost makes way more sense, doesn't it? I think they were always going with Goldberg Lesnar. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. I yeah. think I think by now they've probably Yeah, since Edge isn't around, I think it's gotta be uh Triple H Benoit, because there's just nobody else for Triple H to face at this point. Right. So okay, so you gotta get the belt off Goldberg and back onto Triple H so you can do that. And I understand that, but like man, to have this whole thing with Goldberg result in like a two month sucky title reign where he never actually escapes, like, the gravity of Triple H and evolution. It's just a bummer, man. It just is. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. A wrap for Survivor Series 2003. A weird one, but a fun one. You know, worst way to kill a couple hours if you're looking to look back. I'd say one of the more memorable Survivor Series is. There's many Survivor Series shows I can't remember a single match from off the top of my head, and I can remember pretty much this whole card yeah and there's like a short list of like the truly great survivor series matches and this isn't at the top of it but like for example like what was it 2014 with like the authority versus Dolph Ziggler and John Cena's team and like the one in the other one that was exactly like this one (laughs) like those are like the truly great survivor series matches this is up there like when they get that formula right there's almost nothing cooler really And uh, next time, we'll be covering another of the most memorable Survivor Series ever. It's going to be Survivor Series 2011, the night The Rock returned to the ring after a seven-year absence. 
to team with John Cena against the illustrious team of The Miz and R-Truth. And if you know anything about our podcast, you know that we're not going to waste a lot of time talking about those jabronis, John Cena and The Rock. We're all here for the awesome truth, goddammit. Yeah, this is all about the awesome truth. And our, perhaps the Lawcast's favorite tag team of all time. If you don't know why, check out the archives. But if you don't, we're going to tell you next week. We'll tell you all about it next week. Um, we've also got CM Punk versus Alberto Del Rio for the WWE title and the Big Show versus Mark Henry for the World Heavyweight title. And this uh, takes place from the world's most famous arena, Madison Square Garden, one of the most memorable Survivor Series in history. Absolutely. So, yeah. All that and more next time on the Lawcast. Thanks for listening. We'll see you again next time.